privileged classes, the representatives of special privilege, of special interest, can always make terms with a boss or bosses. You're listening to Bossy Britches. This is Julia Dumay and Lisa Schoeninger, and this week we're going to be talking about the Roosevelts on PBS from Ken Burns, and then more generally, if there's time, we're going to be discussing biographies we enjoy, nonfiction we enjoy, and as usual, we will be providing you some uh, some recommendations to go on. Um, so, let's see, I have, yeah, we were just saying we took some notes, like you, I kind of stopped taking notes a little way into the first one, just which I think is probably a good sign that we were getting that in, involved, that interested, um, that we sort of forgot to, to take more notes. Um, I was, well, I guess where I, well, I usually enjoy Ken Burns, um, I find is, is pretty much always a safe bet. How do you, do you, have you, enjoyed your Ken Burns experiences in the past? Did this one live up oh, to it? Oh, yeah. Um, this one I thought, actually, the format kind of uh, underserved the material mm. a little bit. Well, first of all, it's seven episodes, and each episode is two hours mm. apiece. And that's, that's a I don't lot think I, of time. Yeah, I did not realize that going yeah, in. And, um, me too. About halfway through the second or third episode, I was kind of wondering if maybe, maybe it was just too much material. Mm for Ken Burns doc- or for a Ken Burns documentary yeah, style. I was uh, cuz yeah. in the past I've always enjoyed I think I don't think I've watched all of them I think I skipped baseball but Yeah me too. Um they're pretty narrowly focused. Yeah. Um it's the depression, it's the civil war. Yeah. It's these pretty narrow focuses. In this we're really looking at what like 115 years of American history? Something like yeah. I mean, certainly. one family, and it was. I mean, the scope is so huge. Yeah, Did you that was no. Feel that's, that way? I'm glad you mentioned that because that was something I was very interested in. I was like, okay, and I think, I think we. Uh, I was surprised because I could see one Roosevelt. I could see Teddy, or I could see FDR and Eleanor, but I was very surprised to see it being all of them um mm-hmm. and i i sort of wondered about that as well i was like okay how are they going to do this cuz you've got my immediate reaction to that is okay you've got a few different ways you could do this you could do chronologically um which seems to be mostly the way they're going but you know i also i'm like in that in that case why would you do all three again i'm like why would you need to right. make it all three of them um so it was interesting and yeah i was a little i was a little uh put off in the first episode by they were pretty far in before they mentioned eleanor at all um Mm -hmm. which kind of put me off a little and i was a little grumpy going into it um just you know i'm sure you understand being grumpy feminists that we are (laughs) um i was a little like really um, and it, it was only initially in the context of the link between, uh, Teddy and FDR, which was a little, although it was a great, a really badass intro. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll bear with it. Um, but yeah, 
and I, I don't know, that, that brings me to something that stood out in my mind, which is that Eleanor ends up being, if I have to pick a favorite, uh, is probably remains my favorite of them of the three so i don't know where you are on that if you had to pick a favorite Uh, roosevelt yeah i i am the same way i actually i took i like i said i I started taking notes and i kind of drifted Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and then but my very my third bullet point in the first episode is i already kind of don't give a shit about fdr or Teddy. (laughs) let's get seven episodes of eleanor yeah yeah i and i yeah yeah. (laughs) and i like teddy a teddy I do too. It's fascinating, I, yeah. I think. And I, I could easily go for just a documentary about him, honestly. Um, yeah, cause he really spans, I mean, like, if you look at what the modern presidency mm. is, so much of it comes from the changes that, um, both of the Roosevelts made to the office, Absolutely. I think. And then if you, if you look at Theodore, as you see in the, in, in the show as it progresses he really kind of spans this idea of old and new america yeah um, he you know he he's sort of writing that bridge between um the early industrial period and what we think of as modern america yeah that really arose in the 20th century so he's really fascinating yeah franklin roosevelt i could take or leave yeah honestly yeah. I, most of the time he he was president for so long mm. and he was so influential and most of what you see now when you look at the president is FDR leaving his incredible indelible mm. stamp on that office mm. but i um, like personally if if i'm going to watch something about those years i really wanted to concentrate on what eleanor was yeah doing. well it's interesting that you bring that up um because a note i made in fact in the second episode on uh franklin and eleanor's marriage was that you do see I think a tension there between um they're you know they're on the tail end of the Victorian the Edwardian period and the mm-hmm. concept of family for people in their of their station um of you know this upper class family concept of separate spheres you know that she gave up right. her job that she really loved when she got married um and he didn't even consult her when he decided to run for politics that you see this tension in them um and it's interesting that you mentioned that with teddy because yeah and that's actually something i wanted to ask about um there was a quote that i was very intrigued by and I wanted to get your opinion on because it sounds like we're kind of on the yes end of it I guess it was about that they I think it was to the effect that they created the 20th century um, that Mm -hmm. they really did and it's interesting that you mentioned that because that was something I really grabbed onto as well that they really made America in a lot here we go uh from one of the historians um that Teddy Roosevelt is the coming american of the 20th century uh that there was a quote in that that they said he was what the 20th century was going to be that he really set the tone and i think we've both sort of picked up on that on that tension between mm-hmm. 19th century america and 20th century america yeah um i think it was i one of my notes from episode two where they really started to get into um, 
Teddy Roosevelt's mm. administration um, was UG imperialism. Yeah. Like, I think that's really the driving factor between um, yeah. the difference between the 19th and 20th century. Yeah. Moving from that, the westward expansion idea of, you know, filling the continent and then more into now let's go out into the world. Yeah. And, you know, um, yeah. Teddy Roosevelt was a huge proponent of that of being that uh, the world's police force mm. of being the dominant power in the Western hemisphere. Yeah. I'm very, um, yeah, I, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. And that, if you look at the history of the 20th century, that's, that's what it is. I mean, that's where we are mm. now is we're really dealing with the consequences of mm. pushing ourselves into all of those spaces. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. There were a lot of, um, I found it really funny. The people that they included, um, yeah. Doris Kearns Goodwin, I think, is like, I think you just, you hear there's a new Ken Burns coming out and Doris Kearns Goodwin is <laughs> the first to get invited. Yep. I mean, she, she's, she's right there on the front of his, uh, yeah. she pops um, up on his most frequent contacts list. Exactly. He goes to write an email and just, it autofills her. It autofills Doris's name, yeah. Um, but then I was so kind of surprised that they chose somebody like George Will yeah, to talk about. Yeah, I think actually one of my first notes is, ugh, fuck you, George Will. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's one of those things where when he starts praising anything, I have this kind of gut check. Moment, yeah. Like, I don't think that, do I? Yeah. And when I do, it's really uncomfortable. Um, but there was a, I think, I think it makes sense to include him because if you look at what it was that the, that the Roosevelts created, mm. um, Absolutely. I think George Will comes directly out of that line of thinking. I mean, he, not so much the social progressivism, obviously. See, yeah, but, I was coming at it from sort of the opposite, because, like, the yeah. first thing we hear of him is him saying, oh, well, they kind of disregarded, they weren't really care crazy about the Constitution. Yeah. I was like, oh, for God's sake, George Will. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, George Will. <laughs> You're the only you one at, who knows about the Constitution. We get it. Right. Right. But I think if you look at the expansion of presidential powers, yeah. George Will is right in there like, yeah, this is good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was um, it was really interesting to, that he was included. Um, and then there were some things I, I, I criticized a little bit, the, the incredibly long format, mm -hmm. but there is a lot of history to cover yeah. here. And it's, I think um, it's a period where... We sort of get the highlights in school and then in popular culture, especially. Yeah. Where they, they hit on the high points. They hit on World War Two. They hit a little bit on World War One. Not so much anymore these days. Yeah. It seems it's kind of a bit forgotten. Um, the women got the women got the right to vote, yeah. and that's pretty much well, it. kind of gloss over everything else. So it was nice to get that reminder of things like um, teapot dome yeah. and um, child labor and the work week. Um, yeah. And really the advances in um in, in women's liberation that the very early movements that happened. Yeah. Especially during Eleanor's That's something life. actually I wanted to ask about um ask you about cuz that I was very interested in the fact um that we had so much about labor in there. Mm -hmm. And I would love and actually, this is something I think maybe our uh, our listeners could write in with recommendations. I would love to hear any good histories you guys can recommend about labor in America, because I feel like that is not something we really hear about. The only reason I heard anything about Teddy Roosevelt as like, trust buster, 
um, the trust mm-hmm. busting thing was because I took a special 20th century history course in high school. Um, it was an elective and I thought it sounded interesting and I took it. And that's like the only reason I know, I know anything about a lot of this because, uh, you know, we just didn't really get it in school. And I would, right. I feel like this was almost subversive in that it acknowledged these issues and, uh, the absolute, you know, um, the terrible conditions a lot of these workers were in. And it right. treated them with a lot of dignity, I think, which you don't get a lot in contemporary right. history. Yeah. And I think there we can thank Ken Burns mm-hmm. has that. He'll argue that he doesn't, but he really has that decidedly liberal mm-hmm, bent, mm-hmm. Um, especially in looking at this history. So I think some things get reexamined through that lens um, that you wouldn't necessarily see. I The antitrust crusade was really, um, that was the first moment where I was like, this is why I like Teddy Roosevelt. Because, yeah. you know, you have these vague ideas of what you think of these yeah. historical figures without really anything attached to them. Often informed by Kate Beaton. Thank you, Kate Beaton. Yeah, and as I was watching that, I remembered being in a history class once, and I couldn't even tell you if it was in high school, junior high, or college, uh, where we talked about the the trust busting, and we talked about the Teapot Dome scandal that that came about um, later. Oh. And I just the confrontation with J.P. Morgan, especially, yeah, was like thrilling to hear yeah. about. You know, <laughs> J.P. Morgan was like, "What are you doing? Yeah. I bankroll yeah. you." There's and Teddy Roosevelt quote. is basically like, "I don't give a shit," which is you know. Those are the kinds of moments where you're like, yes, that's why. Now I remember that is why I like that person. Yes. Like they have that quote in there about from after his uh, election. Well, mm-hmm. I say re-election, but actually his election because he wasn't elected the first time. Um, About, oh, we bought this son of a bitch, but he won't stay bought. Yeah. That it was. And that actually, that brings me to something else I wanted to to ask about. Because something I was very struck by, and from the very beginning, like my very first note is uh, a quote from the the introduction, Americans don't like to think of themselves as dis- divided by class. And my note is, are they going to follow up on that? Yeah. And boy, howdy, did they yeah. ever. Um, I was very interested by how they haven't shied away. And I meant to say earlier, um, I was surprised by when you, that they didn't shy away from the I word, from imperialism, that they flat Mm -hmm. out say this was imperialism. And I was also very interested in the fact that it is very much, it throws the class issues right there. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. I had a, a, like I, I was listening to pop culture happy hour, you know, um, on NPR, and there was a wonderful comment Stephen Thompson made about undercover boss. I think it was where he was like, I am very, he said he was very skeptical, ambivalent about the show because it's very much our rich daddies are going to come in and fix everything. Yeah. And, um, but you have this idea of noblesse oblige, and that was very much something that it looked like Teddy was living his life by. And they did right. not shy away from acknowledging that it was very much, you know, his championing of the common man, of the popular people and the worker mm-hmm. was, he was still very much not one of them. It was very much out right. of a place, a sense of, 
aristocratic almost um obligation they sort of introduced the idea of this roosevelt clan i mean in with that Mm. in mind um you know they came over from holland and then they were sort of um upper crust manhattan society Mm -hmm. all the way down like Mm -hmm. it was um and then i think there was a specific line about that one of the one of like the family legacies was instilling this idea in people that especially from i think teddy's father was that you uh you look out for those beneath you yeah um but it's that really patrician idea of i know better yeah um and so i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna do good works yeah uh because it not only elevates me but it will bring up these people beneath me yeah closer to my level obviously they're never gonna get there but yeah and then that that comes back later because they're they and I was one of my one of my big concerns going in was um, how much is race going to play a factor yeah. in this story? Because um, these we come to the end of of FDR's life and it's really the start of the big movement in the civil rights movement. Um, and then Eleanor gets involved in that after his mm. death a, a lot more. But so what I was wondering was, are we going to address the fact that, you know, some of these Roosevelt's were racist? <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. And I was a little worried because the first thing they talked about when um, when uh, TR took office after McKinley was shot, uh, his one of his first acts was to invite Booker T. Washington to dine at the White House. Mm. And what a hue and cry there was, how yeah. incredibly offended people were. And he never invited another yeah. black person to dine yeah. with him again. And I kind of was like i hope we're going to get into more of um his his personal beliefs on you know the mixing of the races yeah and you know i was very pleasantly surprised that they did i mean that he talked about they talked about how he looked um especially his his imperialist ideas Mm. were were that were based in these people have no idea how to govern themselves. It is, these people, yeah. It's the white man's burden. Right, right. They, these people don't have a civilization to speak of. We have to go in there and show them the right way, which is, you know, still the way that a lot of our foreign policy, yeah. unfortunately, operates. So it was, I was glad that they did that. And then they also talked about um, the uh, the dismissal of the entire um, the battalion. Yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was very You know, there's this, the story is that... Um, I think it was Brownsville, Texas. The mayor writes and says, this all-black battalion, this is when the army was still segregated, mm-hmm. this all-black battalion came into town, started shooting up for no reason, and they killed this guy, and they injured this other guy, white guys, of course. What are you going to do about it? And a grand jury in town, as we've found from recent events, grand juries are not <laughs> oh, infallible. Uh, yeah. Um, they found that there was no reason to indict any of the soldiers, that they hadn't done anything. Yeah. Um, so Teddy Roosevelt in, gets this special investigator, and then he ends up dismissing the entire brigade, which but, is... Yeah, and they make a point of saying, you know, he dismissed them all only after the big election, where, you right. know, they had all voted. Um, right. After he, he got, made sure he that all the black, black people had voted, then he dismissed them. Yeah, and so I was... That was one of those things where it was one of... A story that I had heard in passing mm-hmm. before... Um, in a, a class focused on the civil rights era um, and especially on how uh, African-Americans drifted from the Republican Party yeah. to the Democratic Party. Oh, that must have been um, very interesting. Yeah, it was. It was great. 
Um, I, <laughs> I wish I could go back in time and take it again. I bet. That uh, sounds it's, very uh, interesting. I think it's one of those, it's, it gets more interesting the more you realize how little yeah. things have actually changed. Um, so seeing that and, you know, them specifically saying that a lot of, I think Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois, um, they were, they really took that as an opportunity to say, you know, maybe this party is not, maybe this party of Lincoln is not the party that we need to be, yeah. you know, hitching our wagons to in the future. Maybe this isn't, because I think things have been stalled since Reconstruction. Mm -hmm. um, there's been mm -hmm. movement backward in some places. So it was really interesting to see that they did not let up on that, that they really kind of pushed in hard. Because that's a story that they didn't have to tell. Yeah. Um, and I think you see that a lot. Ken Burns, one of my one of my criticisms of Ken Burns is that he does a lot of, um, is it Hey Geography? Is that how you yeah, say? yeah, um, sure. Where you're looking at these historical figures, these massive historical figures, and you kind of airbrush out mm -hmm. the stuff mm -hmm. you don't like. And I think he does that a little bit. I think the heroic is sort of elevated more than mm -hmm. um, the actual complexities of the person. So I was really glad to see that he didn't shy, that this documentary did not shy away from from exhibiting those flaws it, so that was yeah it's a I, very I wish that it, yeah they could have gone deeper into some of them um but it was nice that they were represented at all which is a terrible yeah. thing to say it was, you know well it was very it was and i was like you i was pleasantly surprised by the fact that it was pretty warts and all um especially about teddy i'm only a couple episodes in. Again, I am, I, I think you're further in than I am. So, uh, spoiler alert. I've heard there's a war oh. at some point. Um, <laughs> uh, depression, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, but I was, I have been, a, at least for Teddy, it's been very warts and all about, you know, he did some really remarkable things and he did a lot of very good things, but he, did a lot of stuff that is not acceptable by today's standards, at least not by our standards today, maybe by some people's standards today. Um, and it, it doesn't shy away from the fact that he was, I'm, and this is, I'm going to go on a tear, I guess here. Um, he was a man of his time, which I use. It's often, I'm always skeptical about that when it's said, because it's often used. I very, and I think I may have mentioned this last week, but last time, but uh, that's an explanation. It's not an excuse, mm -hmm. um, right. but I think it can be a very useful explanation. I think it's important to look at things in context and to say, to use, you know, he was a man of his time is not to excuse him and the things that I don't find acceptable about what he did as president. It's to say this is bigger than him just being a jerk. You know, he wasn't an imperialist because he was a terrible person. He was an imperialist because that was genuinely a school of thought that had grown out of, and they mention explicitly, of social Darwinism at the time. This was a very common school of thought that, well, you know, we need to help civilize the world we need to control the parts of the world that are not yet civilized and help them on their way we need mm -hmm. to look out for them so yeah i i was like you i was pleasantly surprised by the fact that it's very very even-handed i think about teddy um 
especially and FDR so far even FDR so far I've kind of come away not I'm like ugh, shut up frankly I'm just like oh I really <laughs> yeah. don't care about him all that much so far uh, like yeah I'm was, like Teddy Eleanor yeah. awesome Franklin uh, sure I guess why not you know there was um I I've never really cared for for Franklin um and I think that's just because I I have a lot of empathy for and I identify with a lot of um Eleanor mm. um and so I think that you know knowing that Franklin did her wrong <laughs> kind of thing is <laughs> yeah <laughs> reductive as that is I think that kind of colored it a lot but then I mean as I'm watching it's really and I I don't think that they shied away from this either is they really present him as he's spoiled he's self-centered mm-hmm. he's callow he and it really takes his illness to mm. becoming crippled by polio mm. for him to sort of develop that empathy. Although he does show some early exhibition of it, you know, because he's a yeah. Roosevelt. So he's he's given that sort of um, yeah. noblesse oblige aspect. Um, and then Eleanor, I think. Yeah. Someone was the same says, way, but then yeah. she was more exposed to it. And they, they talk about she kind of drew him into that a little bit she was the the mechanism by which he was first associated with yeah you know, someone uh, says the there's somebody and... who says in there it speaks i think it speaks well of franklin that eleanor was the girl he fell in love with that yeah like right. you said there are hints certainly of he there's more there he just never really has had any reason to mm-hmm. put more energy into it um it's interesting because his like political ambitions i'm sort of reminded of something i said about romney i believe that Mm -hmm. i feel like you know it was during the 2012 election the 2012 campaign and i said you know i feel like he really doesn't want to be president all that much as a job i feel like he wants the title and feels like it's just sort of a check like he has a checklist of like what rich successful white guys in america do and Mm -hmm. being president is one of the items on that list and i sort of feel like that's i i feel like initially at least that's what franklin franklin was very similar that like well i have done all these things so i guess Mm -hmm. i may as well do this one too well they talk about how when he was very young he was 25 working his first job and not Mm -hmm. very good at it not Mm -hmm. very diligent at it Mm -hmm. and he would tell people i'm going to be president like my cousin and i think when you look at the arc of his career he really patterned it on what teddy had done before yeah so it's kind of like you know once one member of your extensive family rises to this height you have to kind of match that or what is your life yeah and i really you know it's interesting that we have these two roosevelt presidents almost back to back i mean they're they're separated by 30 years but that's about the age difference between them as well and uh i found it really interesting because as i was listening to especially them talking about fdr deciding that you know i'm going to follow in these footsteps it really reminded me a lot of um, thinking about the Bushes. Yeah. Um, and then also the Romneys, you know, dad did this. I'm going to do this, too. Um, and I I wondered at the time when uh, George W. Bush started running, you know, is this because he actually wants to be president and he wants to 
make that mark or is it because daddy had unfinished business um, <laughs> well and i uh, can understand that and because, because daddy likes daddy thinks jeb's gonna do it first so yeah <laughs> well that i would like to segue on sorry i'll let you finish I'd that's like okay to, oh okay well because i i have chewed my friend samantha's our mutual friend actually samantha's ear off several times with my we've discussed my fascination with these political families and these political dramas um, and I'd like to, I'd love, cause I, I view them as, uh, yeah, much the same way. I'm just fascinated by these. I think they used the phrase Shakespearean at one point in the documentary in the Roosevelt's to describe this family. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, I love these cause the bushes I think are much the same. I look at them and I'm just like, oh, this is straight out of Shakespeare. This is just so many family issues and rivalries and feelings. Mm-hmm. And, and I also, I will get into, um, speaking of political dramas, political family dramas I love. Uh, they hit one of my buttons when they talk about, and they seem to be going to that when they talk about Franklin and Eleanor and they mention, you know, they just never quite knew how to be what the other needed in a partner that they Mm -hmm. very, and they very clearly loved each other. They liked each other a lot. They really respected each other, but they just didn't, neither of them quite knew how to be what the other needed in a partner, in a spouse that they would have, and in a spouse rather, and they came to be great partners. And I will admit, I have many feelings this way about the Clintons as well. I'm just like, oh, it, I, yeah, I have many feelings about the endless political dramas where I'm like, these would be fascinating as soap operas. Uh-huh. As real people, I'm a little horrified, but right. also I would read this, you know, if it were three centuries from now and these were Shakespeare plays, I would watch them so hard. Yeah. There was a... I remember back during um, Bush v. Gore, Saturday Night Live was in peak form. And they had this... uh, They did a soap opera. Oh, gosh. Sketch. And I'm sure you've seen it. uh, It it gets shown a lot on Will Ferrell compilations. Um, where they set it up as, it was the soap opera where, um, I cannot think of her name now, the Florida Secretary of State, was it Kathleen? No, Catherine Harris. Catherine okay. Harris, yeah. I'm like, it's yeah. not Catherine so, Sebelius. I know it's not, because she was health, <laughs> but yes, I'm like, Catherine? Yeah. Catherine Harris, so it was this really gauzy soap opera parody where- That's amazing. Um, you know, Catherine was, she's sultry, and Bush it. comes in, and they're kind of like, she's promising him things, and Gore comes in, and he's very wooden, <laughs> and it was just like, that's, like that's exactly what it is, I mean, and we were all enthralled by the yeah. way this was playing out, because it was, it was King Lear in a modified form, yeah. Um, and unfortunately, we have, you know, it was not a play, we had to live with whatever the decision was, Yeah. So, um, there was that element to it, but it was really like I do remember thinking if this were if this were fiction, would I find this believable? Um, because <laughs> interesting, you know, that's an interesting we're, question. We're so used to seeing those sort of political uh, dynasty mm. dramas play out in a fictional space. 
that when they come in, when you start to see them in the non-fictional realm, when you see them happening in real life, you're kind of like, is this really happening? Yeah. (laughs) You know, but then, I mean, if you look at it, most of those fictional um, scenarios come out of real life i mean yeah they were based on real people originally so yeah i and it's interesting that you say the clintons because that is the sense that i really got out of um and i don't want to speak about what their personal life is because obviously we don't know but if you look at the relationship between um franklin and eleanor as as the administration went on um and this was something that i was actually surprised about in the documentary um, and I've got an article that I'll link to in the show notes that addresses it. Um, you know, there's always the speculation of, you know, what was Eleanor oh, Roosevelt? Gosh. As though it's yeah. our business, you know. Um, so it was, I, but I found it interesting that there are these rumors about her sexuality and who her partners might have been outside of her marriage, if there were any. Um, and they didn't really address that, but they addressed the rumors of, who were Franklin Delano Roosevelt's yeah. partners outside of his marriage. And I found that really interesting. There was a quote from um, Ken Burns, I think, a press tour when they launched this uh, this miniseries this past year, where he said something about um, that would be a distraction, hmm. um, talking about what Eleanor's personal life was hmm. outside of her marriage. And I was like, but why is it not a distraction to talk about what FDRs were? Because I think it it demonstrates his affairs demonstrate what their relationship was interesting um, as husband and wife but how is it that whatever her relationships were don't also influence that interesting i could see that's interesting because i'm sort of the other way around i'm like oh i really don't want to hear more i don't know i like if i would want anyone to do to discuss this it would probably be ken burns to address this <laughs> but i'm not sure i want anyone to because it's so often i'm always really ambivalent whenever anyone brings the question of eleanor's sexuality up right because i'm just like i it's always really terrible jokes about her appearance it seems yeah. like, and I'm just like, I do not, I, I'm fine with him just not even touching that if he didn't feel like he could. Right. Um, I, it's one of those yeah. things where you, it's one of those things where you want the person to, to be able to describe if they want to, to you themselves. Yeah. You know, if they're going to have a label, they, they should apply that label to themselves. And they do kind of, they, they talk about her relationships with some of the women that she was rumored to be involved with. Yeah. And um, they do talk about that. But I found it really interesting that they didn't, they give voice to the speculation about him. Interesting. But they don't give voice to the speculation about her. They talk about her relationships in the context of a very platonic oh, that, friend. Yeah, that's interesting. Friendship. Yeah. Um, so, and it, and again, it, I did make a note as I was watching <laughs> because I thought about how everybody is always, was she gay or was she straight? And I'm always thinking, why can't she be bisexual? Yeah. Like, well, yeah. why is, why is it never mentioned? Because she had a long romantic relationship with a man. Yeah. If she also had romantic relationships with women, why is she not bi-romantic? Yeah. Why is she not bisexual? They had, why I does mean, it she always and her husband had multiple children. So I, I mm-hmm. suspect there was at least some enjoyment of heterosexual relations there. Well, I hope so. I, yeah. Because <laughs> well, there were a lot of children. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I kind of sidetracked us No, there. no. By all means, I love a good sidetrack, especially when it comes to political gossip. I'm always <laughs> up for political gossip. Um, I, the Roosevelt, I kind of came away wanting more of, so far anyway. I'm only, again, I'm not as far in, so maybe I'm sat, I will be satisfied later. I want more on Alice, on, uh, Teddy's first daughter by his mm-hmm. first wife. Um, and I remember actually my introduction to her was a few years ago when I was working at, uh, Barnes and Noble. There's actually a picture book and I just pulled it up on Amazon right now called What to Do About Alice, about Alice Roosevelt. Um, and I was very interested in the way they, and they kind of presented her and her and her, her father's relationship. It just, again, it was one of these things where I'm like, oh, in fiction, this would, and it does even in reality, it, it's just so sad that they, she's like, there's a letter from her where she's saying, well, neither of us is particularly interested in the other, mm-hmm. uh, it's so sad because it's very clearly partly that just he could never quite get over his first wife and was just unable to deal with anything that reminded him of that loss. And Right. They said he couldn't even, years later, he wouldn't even yeah, speak her name. Yeah, and you just feel so sorry for both of them in that mm-hmm. situation. Well, they, they did talk a little bit about Alice. I don't think they... Again, I, as I said at the beginning, I kind of don't give any shits about <laughs> the dude Roosevelt. Yeah, um, yeah. Because you can get their story literally everywhere. Yeah. I mean, and so I was really interested more in, you know, some of the lesser known who include the, the women in the family. And Alice, it, the little that they do talk about her, it's really obvious that she is just like tiny Teddy. Yeah. I mean, she's very much in temperament and in intel- intellect. And in attention seeking, mm-hmm. <laughs> she is, you mm-hmm. know, a carbon copy of her father. So that, that, that really was, I, I didn't expect how much tragedy that there was in his life. Yeah. Um, and they do, I, that was surprising. Like they even mention, I think a couple of times, they do touch on the fact that it was extremely difficult for both of them because, like you said, she was really just a miniature Teddy. And even he was just, with again a man of his time who was like that's not acceptable from a woman that's Mm -hmm. not you know in a man that would be fine if she had been a boy he'd be delighted i'm sure but he just had no idea what to do with a girl who was Mm -hmm. like just like him and it was just completely inappropriate for a young woman to be exactly like teddy roosevelt right you'd never alice roosevelt could never have dumped her family and gone into the West to lose half of her fortune. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on, a, on a beef ranch. Yeah. I mean, that it never would have happened. She wouldn't be able to summon up a volunteer corps and yeah. go, to, go to San Juan Hill. Um, so it was, I, I wish that they had spent more time on that, but I guess, you know, in the context of the larger story that they're telling, Alice Roosevelt was kind of just a little blip. Uh, she yeah. Didn't, yeah. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to affect you know, the course of history, as they always say. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, so, we know there's a children's book out there. You can all go yeah, look for it. I'll have to check books. that out. Yes. I, was, I just looked it up myself on Goodreads, and yes. it's really cute. Yes, I, um, a couple of things I was intrigued by, and one was, uh, 
like you just mentioned, when he like kind of ran off west, I had only read a little sort of about that interlude in his life, and it had given me a completely different idea of what it was. It mentioned, um, and there was a quote in there, he didn't go west to be a cowboy, he, he went west to be a ranchman. And they explicitly mm-hmm. say that was an elite thing. That was something right. the upper class did. Yeah, they really they really draw that line. Yeah. Uh, they they were for the common people, but they were very much not of the common exactly. people. Exactly. Um and they also and I feel like there's probably some class stuff going on here. They call it an antidote to his eastern trappings, which mm-hmm. uh, yeah, as an I well I went to a, a relative's to my uh, cousin's wedding earlier this year out in West Virginia or no Western Maryland I'm sorry um, because you can't get married in West Virginia and I was like oh gosh there was I think I tweeted at the time there's nothing like a weekend in quote-unquote real America to remind me that I am an (laughs) east coast elitist and I'm totally happy that way I was like I need a bagel (laughs) you know we're driving at one point in through this like mountain town and we're driving past this I don't think there was even a clinic in the town but there was a march a pro-life march going past the gun shop as we mm-hmm. drove through I was like yep gosh but uh I I do feel like that whenever they mention east coast elite is sort of implied even if they don't mention that word per se I I'm always as somebody from the East Coast, I'm always a little, my back goes up a little. It seems like a dog whistle almost mm-hmm. of class issues to say, oh, Eastern, the East Coast. Uh, and they met, right. and they mentioned to go and escape his Eastern trappings and that that's really where he learns about the common people that I found very interesting. I don't know, as a somebody from Ohio, maybe you have an, a different yeah, perspective. Yeah, I, I don't identify that so much as a dog whistle because it speaks to me. It, I mean, that mm-hmm. dog whistle works on me, mm-hmm. that Eastern, that East Coast elite kind of thing. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, I don't enough. believe it, but um, I think I come from a family. Um, it's pro-labor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pro-union. Very good, yeah. Um, it's... It's very much a working class background. Mm-hmm. And then that's also, I grew up in a neighborhood that is not that. I grew mm. up in a, it's, um, it's a suburb. It's, it's pretty well to do. It is historically not at all racially diverse. Mm. Um, and so I, I kind of can see that in my own community is that you see that difference between the working class and the middle class mm. and the upper middle class. So I think I, I'm i more on the side of looking at the Roosevelts and seeing that East Coast elite. <laughs> I mean, you can't, they couldn't have yeah. possibly gotten away from it. They're, um, Franklin's mother, as a Christmas present, gives Franklin and Eleanor a townhouse yeah. that she had built yeah. for them. You know, I think it's 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 sort of baked into their bones. Um, yeah. But no, I the idea yeah. that they both had, I think both... Uh, well, three of them, Franklin, Teddy, and Eleanor, they really had to step outside of their own world mm. in order to understand what it was that, you know, the majority of the people that they were looking to rule, yeah. for lack of a better word, yeah. Um, they really, to understand what that experience was like outside of, here's your new 
townhouse yeah. Merry Christmas. No, um, I, yeah, it, no, it's and I found it really interesting that um, they did they talked about a lot about. Um, well, I think they called it melancholy, but they mm. talked about depression a lot with all three of them. Yeah. Um, that Teddy always had to keep moving in order to keep it at bay. That was sort of his own self-medication. Yeah. Was yeah. to be so busy he couldn't think about it. Which, yeah, as the family goes, that sort of self-medication right. is pretty good considering Eleanor's father. Yeah. So I th- it was interesting that, I mean, they talked about as a family, I think maybe there, maybe there is a predilection for, um, activity as a medication yeah. um, and yeah. maybe there's a predisposition to depression which is really interesting because that's something that as we know that's not something that gets talked about a lot it's 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 getting a little better mm-hmm. but it's not a really visible vocal thing if you have depression you generally are not um encouraged to speak out about mm. it um it's kind of it's considered a personal thing that you don't necessarily need or want everyone else to know so it was i thought it was interesting that it was something that both especially the men kind of embraced that Mm. idea of melancholy Mm. um that idea that you know that maybe there is something about your brain and yourself that leads you to a state like that Mm. um a little more readily than others yeah and that they talk about that a lot with lincoln too yeah he was really he was really inclined to melancholy yeah yeah uh, he sort of have what i think we would recognize now as depressive episodes that was yeah that was something i don't know somewhere in the first episode somebody says of teddy oh well now we and it's interesting that you mentioned the the mental health thing because somebody says oh well you know if he were a child now we would just put him on Ritalin and he'd grow up to become a salesman and you'd never hear from him again. And I was just like, oh, screw you. Yeah, that really got me. I was like, "Mm -mm." mm-mm. Yeah, because I was like, the thing is, like, as somebody who is on Concerta, which is, I think, pretty much the same thing as Ritalin, except more so, I'm like, I went on it to be more creative because I couldn't, I was like, I can't focus on anything i need to be able and it's affecting my ability to do these creative things that i enjoy because i can't focus on them i get too worked up i get too anxious and going on one going on riddle and made me so much better i think at these things i was like see Mm -hmm. uh, oh yeah but it's yeah the mental health thing is something i find very interesting that they that quote I could have done without, but right. yeah, but they, like you said, they mention depression. I think they actually use the phrase depression at some point. They do use, they don't shy away from saying d- it mm-hmm. is depression. This is mental health. This is mental illness. Um, and they, I mean, especially in poor Eleanor's upbringing, you know, and again, I'm just like one more thing that makes me go, oh, poor Eleanor is when they mention yeah. that her father died in DTs, in delirium tremens, because my mom right. mentioned this and she said, you know, that's what you do when you're detoxing. That's when mm-hmm. you're not drinking. She was like, we were like, oh, was he trying to quit? Was he trying not to drink? That's even, that like makes it even sadder. I'm like, oh, yeah. oh. And then, and then you find out that she, when she went to live with another relative, there was an uncle mm-hmm. who, where she had to be locked in her that room. That made me go, three oh locks. my God, three locks I on just, her door. I, I was just like, that was, oh, 
That was horrifying. Oof. I can't imagine what her childhood and adolescence were Yeah, like. as soon as they mentioned that, I just went, oh. and yeah, that actually is something else that, that's interesting, because Ken Burns, I, especially this and the Civil War, you know, in, in baseball and jazz and prohibition, it's not quite as, there's not as much opportunity for this, but he does have a remarkable gift for taking these pretty ugly moments and really forcing you to deal with them, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and like there was, you mentioned earlier the, the Brownsville, I think it was, incident in Texas. And they at one point go to this shot of people standing on a bridge. And I was like, okay, what's, cr-? and then they yeah. can't pull out and you see bodies of two lynched people hanging from the bridge. And I actually just swore out loud. I actually said, oh, yeah. Jesus Christ, and looked away because I was so, you know, and I think Ken Burns, like, early on, they mentioned the Civil War and Teddy's father, and they just go into all he, all Ken Burns has to do is give me a shot and a slow, you know, quiet piano version of Battle Cry of Freedom, and I have feelings. I'm spilling over with feelings. Right, but he, right, right. And I think he is excellent at drawing that contrast, at doing this, you know, gentle music, slow mm-hmm. pace calm people talking about things and then that makes that contrast of right. horrible moments even more brutal yeah i i agree that that bread shot i was kind of expecting something you know horrific to mm-hmm. come up on the screen given the subject matter and you know it was yeah it, it and I think that is somewhere where this format really suits uh, these time periods that he's talking about mm. because it does give him the opportunity to do that. Because, like I said before, you know, it kind of airbrushes a little bit, which you can expect, because mm. um, nobody's going to tune in for an hour of Teddy Roosevelt was a huge race. <laughs> um, so it it really suits that you can have these little stinging little moments mm. of. No, but hold on a second. There, there are larger forces at work. There are a lot more horrible forces at work. Um, let's just take a second and let's dwell on that. And I think um, I think that's appropriate. Because um, I think, like you said, nobody's going to tune in for an hour of Teddy Roosevelt's a huge racist. But I think that's also not. I don't know. I say this as you know a white woman, but. I think it applies to a lot of these issues that are brought up of just, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier of he's a product of his time and it's not, I have a problem, you know, and I, you, I was going to bring up the issue of biographies in general. I sort of abandoned a biography of the Mitfords a mm-hmm. month, couple months ago. Cause I was just like, I feel like it's using, he was a product. They were products of their time as excuses for the elder sisters who were close personal friends of Hitler and Goebbels and not for Jessica, who was a communist, who was a socialist. Um, But I think he was a product of his time. If anything, it's more a condemnation than an excuse for me. And to say Teddy Roosevelt was really racist in a lot of ways is important absolutely but it's also important to say you know he wasn't racist because he was a terrible person 
he was racist because he grew up in a very racist world and he in a lot of ways was pretty good for his time and Mm -hmm. that's and the way it's just that the way he was more benign in his racism perhaps than a lot of people of his time um he was with the program i mean if if racism is normalized in your world you don't have to do anything overt in order to support it and again that's not to excuse the terrible things that he did to say that he was pretty good for his time. Um, if anything, I feel like, again, that's more of a condemnation than anything else to say, well, right. that this because guy were... was good is how low yeah. does that say our standards are for white people in power during this right. era? And then you look at that period and you do see the people who were doing the right things, mm-hmm. who were, you know, saying the right things and putting action yeah, behind them. Yeah, that there were so to people say, at the time. To say that somebody is not that bad is actually still a condemnation. Absolutely. Um, um, you know, even if he wasn't out there, you know, at the head of the lynch mob, he wasn't doing anything to stop those yeah. lynch mobs. And so, yeah, it's the same thing you could say now. I'm interested I mean, to see, and maybe you're free to spoil me, because um, <laughs> Eleanor was very active also in in racial politics um and right. anti-lynching was a very big concern of hers i don't know i have they addressed that yet where you yeah, are they um they touch on it a little bit during the course of fdr's administration um but the last episode is actually oh. mostly focused if i'm recalling right um i didn't check times or anything but it it was really mostly focused on eleanor after fdr's death mm. um he died pretty really early in his fourth, yeah. that fourth term that he won. Yeah. Um, and then, so Eleanor shifts to becoming a public figure in her own right. And she was really involved. Uh, they get into it. Sure. The things that she was involved with cool. and civil rights is one of those things. And that was actually one of the very first things that, you know, growing up, Eleanor Roosevelt is the wife of FDR mm-hmm. and that's about it. That's mm-hmm. all, you know. And then, you know, as you encounter her more, a lot of the stuff that I saw, particularly, were things like going and visiting with mm-hmm. um, the Tuskegee Airmen and mm-hmm. being really visibly engaged with people of color. Um, and I I think they, I don't actually recall, I sort of tuned out a little <laughs> bit, like I said, in the middle of FDR's administration because I just, I'm not that uh, interested yeah. in him I'm over it. personally. Um, so, but what she did was she went out there and she was like, you know, I'm not going to be cowed by mm. what people's reactions to what I do are. Mm. And so I'm going to be in this picture. It's going to be this, me, this old white lady sitting with <laughs> these young black men. Yes. Um, and I think she made that really conscious decision to be visible in that way, mm. um, which is something that mm. if the president wanted to do it, the president couldn't do it mm. because there are repercussions for him that there aren't for her. Mm. Um, Interesting. And, you know, there's still that idea of what she does reflects on him, but I think she got a lot more leeway. And she was such a strong mm. presence. Like, I, I think, like, the force of her personality yeah. Yeah. as she really came into it um, deflected a lot of those things. That would be a question I would have is how much do you feel she shaped what we expect of the office of the First Lady? Uh, for me, oh, I think she did enormously. a lot. Yeah, I think, I think you don't see, you know, it, it kind of, I feel like it is kind of, um, 
the power of of the of the first lady's office not that there was much to begin mm. with but i feel like it's kind of retracted again mm. i think we we sort of saw you know eleanor obviously took these huge strides and was really influential and had a lot of power um going from her position and i think it kind of retracts a little bit in the decades after mm. Um, so to the point where now you see the first lady, it was, uh, brilliantly set up in Veep. Um, oh yeah. I love Veep. As the vice president, um, I think they showed a lot of the same similarities that hmm. the first lady is expected to do where she gets a pet project. Oh yeah. And you know, it's not one that's really necessarily hers, but it's given to her. And, um, as a woman in the vice president's office, I think it, it reflects really a lot on what the first lady does because in veep uh selena meyer the initiative she's given is oh um, yeah eating healthy childhood obesity yeah childhood obesity yeah which is you know exactly what michelle obama's Mm. issue is um and i think um the idea that the first lady can influence policy come i don't think there was anybody really before unless you look at edith i was about to say edith wilson yeah because when uh, when her husband was incapacitated by stroke, she really she, she was yeah. the president. It's that's and I would love to hear more about her. So again, uh, listeners, if you have any if you have any recommendations for good biographies of Edith Wilson, send them our way. Um, yeah, talk to Ken Burns, get him yes. set on that path. We want to see that more generally. Um, any other documentaries? I'd like to discuss in general, I guess, documentaries and or biographies, uh, because you reminded me of it. And I'd like to ask, um, have you seen Mitt, the Netflix? Uh, you know, Romney? I haven't. I've seen clips of it. Um, I, the gifts that went around Tumblr mm-hmm. of what a ironing. Weirdo yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, ironing while he's still wearing. Yeah. Clothing. Yeah. Um, I do. That is, it's been on my list. You know how it is. You put stuff in your Netflix oh, yeah. queue and then yeah. you never watch it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just park it there. Um, I'll, I'll definitely be checking that out. Yeah. Did you find it? I really enjoyed it. It was very, something I was struck by was that there was minimal narration, which is, so in many ways, it's sort of the opposite of a Ken Burns documentary, which is pretty much all narration. But mm-hmm. um, it was minimal sort of okay here's where we are here's what's going on that's it there may not have been any at all it may have just been cards title cards saying location date what's going on it was very and i've seen documentaries that are like that and have been more or less successful have been it doesn't work but they really used it well here and just kind of showed him i think it's an it would be an interesting counterpoint to uh to this because you know we mentioned earlier the roosevelts were very much about noblesse oblige that they were very much taught that this is the world you grew up in and you have an obligation to help other people although i i would point i would mention um I find it interesting that Teddy took that and decided to go into politics rather than philanthropy, as mm-hmm. most other people of his class did. They sort of stayed out of politics. It was considered a very public, a very uh common thing to do, to go into politics, whereas 
the gentleman's way was to do philanthropy. And there was, I was actually actively kind of scoffing and laughing and at, uh, in the second episode where they mentioned labor issues and they mentioned that, you know, the prevailing idea was that the good Christian men who ran the companies would take care of the workers and would provide for them and that the government needed to stay out of it. Right. Um, and I was like out and out just laughing at it, uh, at them. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was, it was sort of sad where, I don't know, I made a little sad face in my notes, actually, where somebody says, uh, well, you know, the only counterweight to capitalism at that point was government, and labor would like to be, but it wasn't quite there yet. I was like, oh, that's sweet that you think it was ever viable. You know, I had a friend, (laughs) my friend Liz was watching uh, Elementary, and I remember her tweeting like, oh, come on, Elementary, as a response to some episode. She said, oh, come on, really? You're framing somebody as a radical based on the fact that they're pro-union? I was like, Re-? yeah. she was like, really? I was like, actually? That hasn't been radical for a hundred years. I was like, um, <laughs> actually, yeah, in America, that is pretty darn radical. Uh, but, you know, I thought Mitt was a very interesting would be a very interesting companion to this documentary that is so comfortable. And the Roosevelt's themselves were so comfortable with their class, with the fact that they were part of an upper class and there was Mm -hmm. a lower class and that it was their duty. And whatever you may think about that, whether you think that's a good system or not, it was sort of what everyone was aware of. Um, somebody mentions that Teddy, one of the things people loved about him, that Teddy was very much an elite president. He was a Harvard man and he made no attempt to disguise that. And I was mm-hmm. very interested in the fact that they had Paul Giamatti doing his voice, um, and doing a very affected New England accent yeah. for him, um, because I think Paul, you know, we think Teddy Roosevelt and we think, you know, a big, gruff, big, brash, gruff guy with a very deep, booming voice. So to have Paul right. Giamatti doing a very soft-spoken, deliberate voice was very interesting. Yeah, you see pop culture depictions of Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, um, probably the most famous one is going to be Robin Williams' mm. Night at the Museum, mm-hmm. where he is this very... Which I thought was a lot truer to life. He's yeah, a very manic. large, very manic personality. And I think that that really is the way that, that Teddy Roosevelt has framed him. The story about a guy coming to visit the big oh, game hunter. Yes. And he goes into the office and he comes out and he looks like he's been beaten up. He just He's, he's just exhausted. And somebody says, what did you say? What did you do? And he's like, I told him my name <laughs> for 90 minutes. Teddy held forth on whatever. Yes. Um, so it was really interesting that they chose Paul Giamatti, who is, for me, inextricably linked with uh, John Adams. I was going to say, mean, that was interesting. If, if Paul Giamatti is doing voice work, it doesn't matter what he's doing in that voice work. He is still John Adams. Too. <laughs> so I thought that was a really interesting choice. There were, um, I think, uh, Edward, is it Edward Herman? I think did the voice for FDR. Possibly. Which is perfect. I mean, if I, if I could pick any president nice. for him to play, it would be FDR. Yeah. Meryl um, Streep. So I thought, I like. Yeah, Meryl Streep. Eleanor. I did not realize Me neither. that she was Eleanor. I did not um, recognize her. She was her. doing something really, really interesting. Mm. And they, but they mentioned, you know, that people loved Teddy because he didn't mm-hmm. 
try to hide the fact to hide his oh his new england education and bearing yeah. and isn't that interesting that that's people you really don't see that anymore because he wasn't pandering and politicians mm-hmm. that and that was something i think again this is something that makes mitt a very interesting follow-up uh companion maybe to this documentary because Romney really had trouble finding his identity and he was constantly trying to hide the fact that he was he is richer than god and he (laughs) is very much of the elite um and you know whereas teddy the roosevelt's never really hid that at all um i'm very interested i'm sure there's plenty of of writing we're sort of straying into history from pop culture but about what changed there and why we feel the need to have an everyman rather than being comfortable with the fact that somebody is like okay even if we're not nuts about the class system at least acknowledging that it exists right that is interesting i you know if anybody listening does have any recommendations that talk about that i'd love to see it Mm. because it you really don't see um people leaning into that Mm. history of privilege um it's only when they have more modest backgrounds yeah. that they really lean into it like like bill clinton really the boy from hope mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that myth really reads large in his legacy mm. um and al gore i think ran into the same problems mm-hmm. that mitt romney had where he comes from elite he's his father was this longtime senator mm-hmm. um he was you know he went to boarding school was is it friends is that the name of it in washington oh yeah um yeah no i know the one it's not a boarding school it's um i'm totally blank i've actually worked there the day school yeah um friends something it's it's a quaker school but yeah yeah, i know the one you mean it's where all the president's kids go right yeah if you're gonna be anybody in washington your kid is in the school and yeah so but then when al gore ran for president they really tried to reframe him as like an everyman and it did not work Mm. um because he just wasn't and i do wonder where that that shift happened yeah um yeah so if anybody has any recommendations i'm gonna go out on a limb and blame reagan i'm gonna say that probably had something to do with it but i that's just my gut feeling i suspect it probably had something to do with carter or reagan yeah that's a good strategy that's that's gonna be my guess or kennedy Um, could be ken i don't know tv it may be something with tv and kennedy but yeah mm -hmm. that would be that would be yeah as a uh history person that's my that's my (laughs) that's my official title history person um history person when you only have your undergrad degree they you don't get to be a historian you're just a history person um (laughs) Yeah, that would be my guess. It would be something to do with either TV and thus Kennedy or uh, Reagan. Those are my guesses. <laughs> yeah, those are good guesses. Thank I you, like thank you. Uh, so, Mitt, I'm definitely going to check that out, mm-hmm. and I hope everybody listening will check that out too. Uh, my recommendations, um, I actually have a couple. Oh yeah, they're less they're less in that documentary vein. The things that really surprised me that I really enjoyed in the Roosevelts were. Um, the little details that I didn't know or had learned once and forgotten, like uh, mm. Panama, Panama's independence was yeah. tied to uh, pushing forward the canal. Mm. I did. I don't think I realized. I, in fact, I didn't realize that Panama had been a province of Colombia. Mm. Um, and I don't know much about that history. So recommendations on Panamanian history would be great. Excellent. Uh, but so what I'm going to recommend are actually two shows on TV. Ooh. Um 
There's the Secrets Collection on Ooh. PBS, uh, Secrets of Westminster, Secrets of the London Underground. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, they're one hour, maybe two hour, uh, and they sort of take you into these hidden places where if you're lucky enough to visit these places in person, you probably aren't going to see these things. <laughs> um, uh, sort of the histories of, as well as what they oh, look like now. Interesting. And there's also Museum Secrets on History. Ooh. It is not all aliens and Hitler on that there channel. There is actual history sometimes <laughs> there on the History There is sometimes channel. some actual history. Uh, yeah, the Museum Secrets. Uh, I think the one I watched recently was um, Museum Secrets of Versailles. Oh. Uh, and they show you some of the inner chambers of oh. the king and queen. Um, interesting. Yeah. Cause... And that's, so that's really interesting because you get to see the sort of behind the scenes of these big moments in history, yeah. which is really cool. That's really... No, there's always... I love museum stuff. I mean, I I think shortly after you and I first uh, became acquainted, I was doing my an internship at the British Museum. And right. um, yeah, museum stuff is always really interesting because as always, what's on display is only a fraction of what mm-hmm. you've got. And it was just mind blowing. You know, we go into these like galleries that were being used for storage and sometimes during free time and my manager would show us oh yeah you know that stuff that's from you know this is gonna that stuff we went down to these tunnels underneath the building the main building in um because they have several facilities but the main building in bloomsbury you know there are these tunnels under there and there's still stuff being stored down there especially she kind of pulled stuff out and was like oh yeah we moved a lot of stuff down here during the war when during the blitz we moved stuff into these tunnels to protect it and there's some stuff that still hasn't quite recovered but yeah i love history that's great i'm gonna have to check that out because i love museum history i find museums in general really fascinating so i guess if anybody has good recommendations about museums that'd be great oh yeah um do, oh sorry i interrupted you did you have more oh no that's okay oh, okay um so those are my two recommendations if you can catch those uh they run it seems constantly excellent I, every time i turn on the tv the dvr has got a new episode oh good all right um for and then for books actually um a, a book that i first read many many years ago i'm not gonna say how many because no one should know how old i am um a book that i first read that i've read repeatedly since i'm actually i just looked over and it's on my bookshelf and i'm gonna have to grab it and take it back upstairs excellent um it's by albert freed and it's called the rise and fall of the jewish gangster in america and it covers a lot of the same time period that the roosevelt's covers but you're going to be looking at it at a, from a completely yeah. different perspective. Yeah, sort of oh. the opposite perspective. In yeah, ways. so it's, it's really more focused. It's, you know, there's no focus at all on the class mm. of New York that the Roosevelt's inhabit, mm. um, New York specifically. Um, it's really fascinating, and it gives you context, I think, for a lot of um, what was happening in the, I hate to say it, but in the lower classes sure. during this time, sure. you're going to see a lot more perspective on, um, especially prohibition, which only mm. barely gets touched on. Yeah. Um, you're going to see a lot of what's happening. Although Burns of, does have, I have enjoyed Ken Burns's prohibition. Yes, so. it was great. Yes. So you uh, can then, go to that. Yeah. So that, and for Ken Burns documentaries, I think the Roosevelt's is really good. It is a huge time investment though. All right. Um, so I think, 
I think it's worth it, but I think you should space it out. Don't try and cram it all in like I did. Yeah. You will go yeah. into Roosevelt overload. And then the other two documentaries, I'm sure probably most people have seen them, but The Civil War and Prohibition, I think, yeah. are probably oh. his two best. The others are definitely worth checking out. Um, somebody should probably tell me if baseball is worth watching if I don't actually like baseball. Yeah, me too. I, <laughs> but jazz yeah. is good. Uh, let me see my recommendations. I sort of focused on, uh, biographies and I'm, I don't know about you. I'm pretty picky about biographies. I find, uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to tell when I'm going to like one and when I'm not. Sometimes I will love one and sometimes I will just, get a little ways into it there's a biography of napoleon that i really enjoyed like the first half of and then i got so bored that i just sort of abandoned it um but biographies i've enjoyed in the past couple years that have really stood out for me um i really enjoyed the black count about alexander dumas uh senior about the writer Dumas' father, mm -hmm. which was very interesting. You know, he was this, he was born, his mother was a slave, and he was brought over to Europe and schooled there. And it very much touches on a lot of the issues that, uh, it's a perspective that you don't often get on the French Revolution, um, and it touches on the Haitian Revolution as well, which, again, okay. let me air my unending anger that we still don't have uh, Danny Glover's uh, yeah. Haitian Revolution movie starring Don Cheadle um, as Toussaint L'Overture, which I was just reading something today where it reminded me that the reason that movie couldn't get made was that studios kept saying there are no sympathetic white people in it. So I'm like, oh God, I'm so angry. I'm never not angry about that. Um, but it gives you a perspective on the French Revolution and these advanced events in France and Europe, sorry, that you don't often get this perspective of somebody who was very much middle class, uh, but was also black. And you have the beginning of in many ways a modern concept of race but also mm -hmm. in many ways a very not modern concept of race that a lot of people just really didn't care about his color um and in a lot of europe at that time what was more important was your class than your race right. so i think and it's just a very beautifully written very interesting biography um and another biography that i've really enjoyed was and I've just been rereading recently, was Tina Brown's biography of Princess Diana. Oh, yeah. Called the Diana Chronicles. And like I mentioned earlier, I really enjoyed the Roosevelt's because it's very warts and all, and it doesn't shy away from parts that are not quite so fun as Teddy Roosevelt, big fun, your big fun uncle. Um, mm -hmm. That And Tina Brown... Is kind of a controversial figure sometimes among, uh, the writing types. I guess I, from when I was reading Gawker and their, uh, their literary, uh, new journalism and literary, uh, concerns, Tina Brown is sort of a controversial figure there. But 
she was the editor-in-chief at Tatler for a while, I believe. Um, and she knew Diana. You know, I wouldn't, I don't know that they were really close friends, but they knew each other enough to chat, to, that they'd say hi to each other if they ran into each other, that they had lunch together now and then. So this is somebody who knew her, but is not, it's sympathetic without being simpering is how I describe it to people. It's very, this is somebody who knew her and liked her, but who is not blinded by the myth of Saint Diana, who was done okay. so wrong by everybody. And right. that she was an adult. She made her own decisions. And some of them were good decisions. Some of them were bad decisions. That this was somebody she liked and knew, but it, she was not perfect. Um, it's also got the version I have is, has, it's an edition that, uh, came out right around the time of William's wedding, which, has, so it has this great introduction, this very funny, interesting introduction. It's especially amusing, I think, if, like you and I, you come from kind of a fandom background, because she talks about, she goes into all this speculation about sort of what Diana's life might have been like had she not died in, two, in 97. And she mentions like a second marriage, second, maybe third marriage, and how she would have probably spent some time in New York and maybe had an affair with some former president in New York and I'm like so basically you are kind of shipping Bill Clinton and Princess Diana <laughs> that's what I'm getting from this I'm I just well who doesn't it was, right it was just this really funny little interlude there it was like huh I all right then interesting that, that was is I really just, interesting yeah I really enjoyed that and then on uh politics I've really enjoyed, and again, this is kind of a controversial book among the serious pundit, uh, pundit-minded classes, is, um, Game Change. I've really, about the 2008 election, if you want mm -hmm. something that is Shakespeare, and it would be fascinating if it were happening, it would be hilarious and fascinating if it were happening on stage or in a novel but in real life you're kind of horrified uh i definitely recommend that it's very readable and it's very melodramatic and there's all sorts of of drama and people betraying each other and uh i i wholly recommend that if you want uh political drama that you would like to pretend is not real life. Also, I have added all three of those to my Goodreads list. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> enjoy. In. Yeah, enjoy. I've got that Barnes & Noble gift card. Yay. So I think I'll go do a little shopping this afternoon. Yes. Nice. Nice. And then tonight, uh, I think you and I are both looking forward to Brooklyn Nine-Nine coming back. Yay! Yay! Excellent. Yes, yes this excited. is the 28th we're filming, or we're recording, rather. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm very much looking forward to that. So I think that does it for us this week. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Britches Podcast. We're on Tumblr at the same name, britchespodcast.tumblr.com. And, uh, of course, the website is realbossybritches.com. Yeah. Uh, you can subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or using your podcast catcher of choice. Uh, you can follow me, Lisa, on Twitter at OCFairer. That's O-H-S-E-A-F-A-R-E-R, -E -E where I yell about pop culture and everything else and how about you Jules? Uh, I am uh, primarily on Twitter at 
Jules has tweets, J-U-L-E-S-H-A-S-T-W-E-E-T-S. Jules has tweets on Twitter. Um, I think that's pretty much everywhere I am at the moment. All right. Oh, my All gosh. Right. Well, we talked forever. <laughs> yeah, we did. I love it. Stay beautiful, America. Stay beautiful. Yeah.